Welcome to Libre Lounge, a podcast about free software, free culture, and all the other interesting aspects of user freedom. With Christopher Lemmer Weber and Serge Broklowski. Is maybe, Mitch, if you want to define what a hackerspace is and what hackers are to you, that might be a good place for us to, to start this conversation. Sure. Um, yeah, you know, you ask different people, they give very different definitions of what hacker means. Um, so in uh, the way I look at it and the way most people overlap anyways at hacker spaces is um, hacking is a very positive thing and only positive thing. It's a way of really looking at things and, and a way of being. You see things as full of resources. The world's full of resources and we can use any of them any way we like to improve our projects. And those projects can be anything from tech to art to ourselves, our communities, uh, politics, society, the planet, whatever. And then we learn what works, what doesn't, and we share it with one another. And that's that whole thing is, is what hacking is all about. And it's an incredibly enjoyable process. And that's an important element of it as well, is that we're doing it because it's important to us, meaningful, and we enjoy it. And then at hackerspaces, there are places where kind of like at a conference, like a hacker conference, are full of people who are enthusiastically sharing what they've learned, their experiences, their projects, and learning from each other. And uh, at conferences, though, there's like hundreds of talks if it's a big conference. And um, uh, but it's a physical place where people come together in community to share and learn and teach. And hackerspaces are physical places that you don't have to wait for the next event. It's just always there uh, in, in your hometown, hopefully. And you can just walk to it or go there and you're welcome and you can be part of the community and uh, do what you do at the conferences, uh, but maybe without the talks. People are sharing their experiences, sharing their projects, learning from one another, um, working on things, playing on things. And it's a supportive community that encourages people to explore and do what people there find meaningful, cool, wonderful, fulfilling, hopefully things they love. Yeah. For most of our audience, or at least a portion of them, we're used to conferences like big free software conferences like FOSDEM or Libra Planet or others where you, know, you kind of go in and you meet the people that usually you interact with online. And, you know, we have an IRC channel where there's like 70 of the people who listen to this podcast on there and we all kind of hang out and there are tons of other IRC channels. But I think what makes hackerspaces different is that because it's a physical place and because you're physically there seeing other people interacting, first, there's uh, a greater diversity of interests. So you might see someone who's, you know, really into clothing or really into uh, microcontrollers and you kind of break out of your area of expertise and, and get inspired by other people. And then I think there's also just that element of being physically present and there's that sense of physical community that's a little different between the online space and uh, the physical space. And that's a really special a special part of the community that I, I, I think we have had in the past, especially with the you know, Linux user group communities and things like that, but having a, a place where people can congregate and feel like that they own collectively uh, makes a big difference. 
the history of the U.S. hackerspaces is is really with you. But how did you get involved with um, hacker and hackerspaces? Yeah, sure. Um, you know, I, I uh, for a long time um, I'd been uh, a, a, a phone freak. These are people who played with the phone system back in the analog days of AT and T and the phone company. And a lot of people shared. Uh, what they found out about how it works because it's this huge 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 system which is really a huge black box that they didn't advertise how it works and geeky people uh, have always wanted to figure out how it works and and over time people collectively figured out how it works and through that I found out about 2600 magazine and uh, it just seemed really cool that these people were sharing all these ideas about how the phone company works and how their phone system works and that always fascinated me as uh, uh, when I was younger. And um, uh, but I didn't think so much about hackers and hackerspaces because it just wasn't part of my world. I was a consultant. I've been a geek all my life. And as an adult, I would help small companies with their projects. And eventually, I got tired of working for other companies with their problems, even though it was cool stuff that I worked on, including like helping create virtual reality and other stuff. But, but it was never anything that excited me. And I actually took time to explore what it might be that I love doing that could also make me a living while doing it. And I didn't know what that would be, but after a bunch of time, it turned out to be TV Be Gone, uh, this remote control keychain that I invented that turns TVs off in public places. Um, as a little kid growing up uh, uh, with a bad, depressed life, I escaped into TV and I quit. And uh, when it started coming up all over, TV started coming up all over in public places, I came up with this idea to turn them all off. And I implemented it and it turned out it was popular. And uh, I've been making a living on that and that alone since 2004. But back in 2000. Seven, 2006, uh, someone contacted me and said they wanted to buy some TV Begones, and it turned out to be this guy, Bernie S., uh, he calls himself, who's one of the organizers for a hacker conference that happens every two years in New York called Hope Hackers on Planet Earth. And uh, he, we talked, and we, we liked each other, and he said, you know, you should give a talk at Hope. And I'm like, Hope, what, what's that? What's hackers? What are you talking about? And so he explained it and he invited me to Hope and I gave a talk. It was a lot of fun. And it was the first time in my life where I felt totally at home in a group. And this is big too. There's like 2,000 people uh, and they were all geeks, but everyone was like um, super enthusiastic, wanting to learn from me and wanting to share what they did with me if I was interested and I was. And so it was this fantastic group experience for the first time in my life as an introverted geek feeling comfortable and wonderful in a group. And it was amazing. And, and then, of course, the conference ends and I wanted to do another one, but it was two years later. But someone there said um, they were from this uh, group in Germany called the Chaos Computer Club, and they were helping organize HOPE in 2006. And they said, well, you know, you should come to this thing we put on in Germany. I think you'll like that too. And so I did. I was invited to give a talk there. And 
uh, and it was even better. It was just amazing. And they do that every year. And then every four years, they have uh, a camp. And I went to that, and that was just a few months later in the summer of 2007. And it was even better. It was amazing. There were all these people, there were thousands of people all doing projects that they were enthusiastic about anything from music synthesizers to um, e exploring uh, the Arctic, doing things with German politics or other places in the world politics and critique of society and lots of really cool art and music and uh, hundreds of talks. And there were lights and all sorts. Oh, it, it was just over the top amazing. I was just in in geek heaven and um one of the hundreds of talks was a talk about how to start your own hacker space which i really wasn't so much aware of before that but um it, it's pretty much just what we were talking about and you you were talking about too these unique places each with their own community where we can do all these things that we do in these conferences but all day and all night and all year round and i was super inspired to start one in my hometown, San Francisco. Uh, and one of my friends was also at uh, Chaos Camp in 2007, and we started talking about it. And then there were some other people who I didn't know, but uh, who, who Jake, that was the other person who Jake knew. And uh, so we're all talking about it. And then people from New York and DC were, were there, and we were all talking about starting hackerspaces in our hometowns when we got home, and, and we all did. It took us about a year to get everything together, because this is all really new for us. And there weren't all that many hackerspaces in the US back then. And there were only like a few dozen in, in Europe. So with the help of each other and the hackerspaces in Europe, we all got hackerspaces going within about a year. And then we helped other people who were excited about starting their spaces. And within about a year after uh, that, there were a hundred more. And with a year after that, there were almost 500 more. And one of the people at a hackerspace in Vienna, MetaLab, had the idea of creating hackerspaces.org. People could get together and continue to help each other network to create more hackerspaces so we could all continue to help each other in our communities and to keep our communities going. Because community, of course, is a lot of hard work. And we see what works, what doesn't, and uh, share all that. So we're like hacking our communities to improve them as we're going along. And now, years later, there's thousands of hackerspaces in the world. Cool. So I, I feel really connected to that. When I, I actually, before we started recording, even, I was mentioning that we have a mutual friend, Drew Fustini, who um, I knew through um, some local friends in Chicago. And because I, I was there when um, Pumping Station One, which was a hackerspace in Chicago, was spinning up, and I spent some time at, at Pumping Station One, and uh, and it, it it struck me how many parallels, uh, how much felt both completely in parallel with, and then sometimes at like somewhat in disconnect from kind of the hacker culture I was familiar with. So myself and many of the people listening to this show um, kind of identify with the free software or open source definition of hacker. We kind of broadly mark ourselves as a show about user freedom. So we, we do want to cover beyond that on this show. But um, in bridging those two, I often saw like, wow, this is really like a lot of the same 
kind of level of what felt like sharing and collaboration. And yet a lot of the things that were really important that I was familiar to uh, for, about from the free software community, like you know the degree to which people care about copyright licenses and stuff like that, didn't seem to carry over. And it felt to me like there was this connection between the two, and yet it wasn't like an absolutely firm kind of bridge between them. And I just wonder what your thoughts are on, do you think that the hackerspace movement in some ways kind of bridged out of that? Or do you think there's some sort of other more distant route? Or uh, what do you think? Yeah, yeah, certainly the uh, open source, the open source thing started with software long before people thought about it with hardware or any other realm. And so in the earlier hacker conferences, it was mostly people who were into open source software. And I started inject hardware into it. And, you know, in my first talk in um, uh, Computer Club's annual conference, the Chaos Communications Congress in 2006, it was their 23rd conference. And I gave my talk and these people in the audience uh, asked me about the there was one photo in one slide. It was a photo of my packaging, and it said "patent" on it. And um, and someone was not too nicely asking me about that. And I was like, "Oh, well, you know, I spent a year and a half of my life, and and you know, what if people? Uh, and I'm doing this, you know, for social good. But what if people just did it for money, and they would take it away? I wouldn't be able to make a living from it. Blah 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 blah. But even as I'm saying that, it didn't ring." It sounded kind of hollow to myself because I never really thought about it. This was 2006, and there really wasn't much in the way of open hardware at all. And I didn't know about it. I did. I personally didn't know about it at all. And um, so after that, I thought about it, and within a few weeks, I just made my hardware open. And ever since then, everything I do is open source. And the only patents that I have of any of my projects are ones that had started before that. And um, I think it's the best way to go. And one of the only reasons why I'm still, why I'm still making a living from TV Be Gone is because it's an open source project where because it's open source, there's no impediment. People are helping with my project and, um, and sharing it. They're making their own and, and talking about it, which makes many more people aware of it. And they... Uh, in turn, tell other people and tell other people that's PR I could never, ever, as a small company, ever afford. And um, and so it's it's fantastic. So I'm way big proponent of open source. So that's, you know, a bit of an aside, but um, the hacker scene has gotten way more diverse uh, over the years, not just open source software free uh, Libre software, but also free culture and free hardware and all these other things come into play. But it's a very diverse crowd, so not everyone in a hackerspace is going to be uh, with, you know, like religious fervor of, uh, you know, considering self in the, in the terms like with RMS and being a saint about it. There are a lot of people who are, though, who are insistent they will never use things, uh, if it's at all avoidable, uh, that aren't completely free and open. Um, and then there are other people who are like, ah, I don't give a shit. Um, can I say shit? You can say shit. <laughs> I guess so. So uh, there are other 
Okay, <laughs> there are other people who don't give a shit, and um, and and then there are a whole bunch of people, probably most people, who will use open source, free tools for hardware or software, and make their projects open. What uh, probably pretty much all the time make their projects open, but they're not necessarily averse to using a tool that isn't open and free to accomplish their goals. Um, they would prefer to, but if it isn't available or if it's too sucky, uh, they'll use um, proprietary tools. And, um, you know, myself, I use some proprietary tools, but uh, whenever possible, I use open free tools. So I guess this has kind of a a wide swath of terms, uh, you know, at least as many terms as we have for free software, open source, etc. Um, you know, open hardware, uh, free hardware design is what RMS calls it, or Libre hardware or whatever. But the general concept is pretty much the same, right? It's that you've got, even though we can't just, you know, like copy instantaneously data, uh, or we can't copy hardware the same way we can with data just instantaneously, we can at least copy the designs and people can have the freedom to, you know, copy, modify, distribute those designs uh, and play around with them. And it strikes me that actually this is something that we kind of, so even from just a free software perspective and a person who worries about security, it seems like we kind of need this more than ever. Um, like, for, I mean, with especially if we look at, for instance, the kind of vulnerabilities that are hitting uh, processors right now and so on, and also the lockdown that we're seeing at the boot level of computers. So with the, the lockdown on the boot process and et cetera, uh, it seems like the need to be able to have kind of community-oriented free soft, uh, free hardware designs for our computers has never been more necessary if we want those computers to kind of represent our interests at all. Would you agree? Do you think that there is actually a good chance that we might see that succeed? Or do you think that computers in general are just too hard of a topic and we're not going to get there? Oh, it's definitely not too hard of a topic. But, you know, uh, something is as complicated as the modern processors. I don't know if there's any single person who understands every level of it anymore. And, and that includes all the way down making the um, silicon wafers and having the, uh, the transistors as small as they are and make everything work. So we may not get to a point where we are able to have free, open hardware down to that level, but the design of the chip itself may eventually get there. There are a lot of people now, uh, well, a teeny minority of people, but a growing number of people who are working on open, free open, um, like FPGAs. Um, these are chips that are software programmable hardware. So with some software-like stuff, you tell the chip what the hardware does. And uh, it can be a processor, it can be an ARM processor, it can be um, a super fancy digital signal processor even, uh, or it can be just something that blinks lights. Um, but these chips now, are getting to a point where the designs are free and open. And if we can do that and they can do processors, then we might be able to get to a point where we have things like this. And, you know, there's people like Bunny Huang, who, uh, uh, what was it, like two or three years ago, he came up with a notebook computer, a laptop that um, was as open as possible. And he made everything, 
he could out of FPGAs and came up with his Novena, which was, um, I see it more as a, a performance piece, uh, but there are two people I know who have his laptop and, and it works, it works well. So um, yeah, I would love to see eventually uh, more and more and more whether we get there or not remains to be seen, but we can certainly put as much energy as we're all willing and wanting to put in to get uh, more free and open hardware. Yeah, so I actually just wanted to have a very fast follow-up on that. I think you said maybe nobody will be able to fully understand a computer in our lifetime, but I think that to a certain degree, that actually doesn't worry me because nobody can actually fully understand a modern operating system these days because our modern operating systems have gotten so complicated. And yet we have free operating systems because many people understand many components. So I think that the we have a real opportunity with, you know, kind of hacker culture of having many hackers collaborate at the abstraction levels that they do understand. Do you think that's true? Yeah, yeah, I do think that's true. And um, I should clarify that. So with, uh, with like Linux uh, grew out of Unix and a, a free version of that. And I don't know if there's anyone who does understand all the levels of Linux anymore, but it, it started off with a bunch of people who knew a lot and then it grew from there. Whereas with um, hardware, it requires super expensive, fancy, um, uh, machinery uh, and tools and a huge building full of stuff in order to make these um, uh, the silicon the the actual chips and it's also outrageously the way we do it now outrageously toxic so um, whether or not we can get to a place where the entire process is free and open remains to be seen that will be more challenging than even more challenging than doing an operating system. So I want to change tracks a little bit from very complicated electronics to very simple electronics because we did an episode recently about command line culture. And in that episode, we talked about how 8-bit microcomputers were a thing. Uh, you know, you'd boot, you you'd turn them on and they kind of jump into a very simple, uh, like basic interpreter. And what I got out of my time with working in hardware, and that was the Arduino and also just directly programming PIC microcontrollers, was that same level of, oh, none of this is magic, right? I, I can make a blinking light. I can make something that talks to a Nintendo controller. I can understand these protocol, these very low-level protocols. And I think for me, someone who had always been working at that high-level abstraction uh, that you get in modern operating systems, understanding that very basic, you know, binary high-low voltage on a wire was influential in the sense that it it demystified uh, what had I didn't even what I wasn't even realizing was just a magic black box to me, and I think that's also the power of the kind of knowledge exchange that you get out of hackerspace, which is unique and you wouldn't get quite the same experience. Um, just from our, our free software communities programming. Yeah. So in hackerspaces since, um, you know, like 2007, 2008, when we were forming uh, NoiseBridge, NYC Resistor, and HackDC, where we met, and shortly thereafter, uh, Hack Pumping Station 1 in Chicago, 
it started with the help of the Germans and um, Metal Lab in Vienna. Uh, we were starting from a place of being very inclusive and you don't have to prove that you know anything before being allowed entry into the community, which is partly uh, in some software communities, you had to kind of prove yourself before you were accepted. And it kind of made sense because if you're having all these people working on code, you, you want people to do good code. Um, but this is a physical space and the consequence of someone not knowing something so well or not knowing it at all are, are negligible to none. So uh, there are a lot of people, myself included, who teach people who know nothing uh, but who are curious and interested uh, to learn these things. So I teach uh, this workshop that I do whenever I have a chance called Arduino for Total Newbies. Uh, newbie being the term for someone who knows nothing in, in these scenes. And so Arduino for Total Newbies, people can go from knowing nothing to being able to make their own TV be gone, just as an example of a cool thing you can make in my three and a half hour workshop. And this is true for any age. I've taught, uh, well, this one is young as fourth graders do that. And uh, there's no upper limit, of course, as long as you have a functioning brain and interest, anyone can do this stuff. And, and, and uh, uh, you know, just on magic, this really is magic. You know, whether you call it a black box or not is unimportant because at some level down there's 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 black boxes and you go to all the way down to the quantum level and we're dealing with electrons, which according to quantum only have probabilities of existing in space, you know? So and yet we can model all of this stuff and with that model put together physical things that affect our reality and that that's if that is magic you know and you don't have a trained musician uh, a magician who's been learning illusion to fool your audience for years and years to do this anyone can learn this stuff and that's part of why hackerspaces are so cool is it encourages everyone to explore these things and some people who um, you, know, you mentioned this earlier, people go into a hackerspace, they're surrounded by people doing all these different activities, they might come uh, be interested, have their interest peaked on a, something they never even thought of before, but their people are doing it and suddenly it looks interesting. And because of that, I've taught some people how to solder, uh, solder as we say in America, how people how to solder and, um, and that changed their lives. There's been several people who told me they now make a living doing things they enjoy with X just because learning how to solder in one of my workshops was something that was really cool for them. So rewinding a little bit and thinking about hackerspaces and uh, earlier on, you mentioned the magazine 2600. So uh, I'll talk a little bit about my experience with that, which is that when I went to college, I felt very alone and very misunderstood and uh, I fell into a pretty bad depression for quite a while. And the magazine, not as much as the, the radio show Off the Hook, which uh, you've been on, Mitch, uh, which is run by Emmanuel, the, the man who runs 2600 Magazine and uh, also the Hope Conference. And I think that one of the, the powerful elements for me when I joined the free software community was that sense of belonging and sense of purpose as well. The the hacker scene in the 2600 sense always had that exploration. 
which I connect with, and as you you mentioned earlier, has that sense of well, well, everything is is something that we can experiment with and play with. But I'm curious, as someone who's talked about their depression in the past, what you think the role of our community is in helping people find a place in the world? Well, community is is the central core of it all. That's as far as I see, all of the activities we do are an excuse for people to come together and be part of something bigger than themselves because we we need that. We all need that on a deep, deep level. Um, We're social creatures and that's why our species exists still on our planet is that we've come together to support each other way back at the beginning of our species on the planet. Uh, We don't have survival skills that enable an individual to survive on one's own. We get together with other people and support each other. And by doing that, we come up with many solutions for surviving and thriving. Uh, And so part of that is learning new tools and sharing them with one another so we can survive better and also improve the quality of our lives. And this has been going on for hundreds of thousands of years now. And on our modern world, we have very little community anymore since our survival is taken care of by so much of the past technology. But that doesn't diminish the need for community. Even if we don't need it for survival, we still need it for feeling like really good about ourselves uh, and to feel connected, like you said, and to feel, you know, part of something bigger. We really need that. And even introverted geeks, like like I assume all of us here are, but at most people at hacker conferences and hacker spaces are mostly introverted geeks. And we still need community. We need our alone time as well, um, but we need to feel part of um, the support of other people. And hacker spaces do provide that. Growing up geeky in our culture um, is not easy. Growing up introverted in our culture is not easy because a vast majority of people are extroverts. Uh, And introversion is looked down upon. There are even pills available for people, I forget the phrase they call it, some kind of disorder, but it's for being shy. You know, for fuck's sake, you know, let a kid be shy. Uh, You don't have to give them a pill to make them outgoing. So um, in our nature, we're introverted and we still need to be in at a hackerspace, we can come together and support each other. And we don't have to worry about being put down for not being extroverted. Um, But we were put down growing up. Some people in a mild way, some subtle, but for people like me, uh, and, and, you know, I'm 62 years old now, so the world was different when I was a kid than people growing up now. It's still, I think, not easy for introverted geeks, but it's not, not so hostile anymore. When I was, a, I was beaten up almost every day, and, and not just for being an introverted geek, I'm also gay, and, and even though none of us could articulate what a kid, little kids look for differences and then pounce on them, and, um, and also for being bad at sports, and for being intellectual, for actually liking learning, and whatever, all these different things things that bullies love 
destroying others for. And um, everyone's had their own experiences, uh, intensity of the, the badness involved with all of that. Mine was way intense. And as a little kid, what do we know? What did I know? I, I blamed myself. Um, you know, I was beaten up every day. I just had to assume that I deserved it. And it was quite often while this gym teacher watched, encouraged other kids, and my parents were depressed. They couldn't deal with their own pain, let alone mine. They didn't know what to do. They just wanted it to go away, but of course it didn't. And my life totally sucked. It's just pain. And that's all I remember for all of my childhood. And I have a good memory and I remember all of it, <laughs> a lot of it. And um, yeah, it was just pure depression with no hope in my mind of ever dealing anything else. I just assumed, well, I'm going to live to be 70 or 80 years old and then I'll die and then it'll be over. <laughs> There's a cheery outlook for you. Um, but somehow deep inside of me, I knew that I wanted to live. And it was a long road for me that I've shared in other talks and even geeks and depression holes at Hope and uh, elsewhere where we I, I've talked about my story and encouraged other people to share theirs when they wanted to. Um, but our communities are places where ideally it's a wonderful place for each and every one of us to all of who we are, even the parts that we're ashamed of and that we don't like, or the parts of ourselves that we still maybe unconsciously or maybe consciously even hate because we all have these parts of ourselves. But in a supportive community that really works, we should be accepted for who we are. And when we are, that's a very, very healing thing. The hackerspace community and other communities are very healing in this way, because when we're part of something bigger than ourselves and we feel supported by it, it's very healing. Um, but I'll add on to that, that although the communities are healing in this way, the communities don't explicitly exist for that healing, uh, which is really important because community is really hard work. And if people are going to the community f primarily for the healing, um, then the community usually, unless it's a community for this, the community usually doesn't have the tools and resources available for providing that. So, um, yeah, so we need other, uh, you know, professional help sometimes, often, if depression is serious or other mental health issues are serious, or if it's not as serious, having groups that we can be a part of that are for that. But community in and of itself is super important and very healing. So if you don't mind, I actually have a question I'd like to follow up for the both of you, actually, both Serge and Mitch, because I know you both have thought a lot about this. And I'll, I'll start it off by saying, you know, um, this topic is also very personal for me, because, um, you know, I, I'm I am a person who struggles with uh, pretty bad depression, uh, almost every day. And uh, a lot of it comes from this kind of defensive response I developed from from stressful stimuli when I was younger, where instead of becoming angry at the world, I, I just kind of turned everything into an internal self-loathing. And I I used to feel, you know, I, I, I've known that about myself for a long time, and I, I've done various things to try to work towards it. But I think one 
it, it never really became as clear to me that this is something that that has happened to so many other people until at one point during when I was working on the Media Goblin project, I had a bunch of people start to, as I was becoming kind of more high profile of, of a person in that community, come start sending me messages telling me about their um, mental health, specifically generally depression issues. And, and I felt kind of unprepared to know how to respond to that. So, and it, but it did wake me up to the fact that um, these issues are are actually hyper prevalent in our communities. Partly because I think, as you're as you're saying, Mitch, uh, I think uh, you know these communities can be a refuge for people who who have these kind of challenges. So, I wonder if you know someone um, or you yourself are somebody who is really struggling with uh, depression in our community. Oh, it, it what what can we do to help actively help somebody when you when you have found like I said I felt very underprepared to be able to respond to those types of things do either of you have thoughts on how we should respond or what we can do both for ourselves and for others who are in that kind of spot yeah um, so you know I'm not a a, a trained professional therapist uh, by any means but there's a lot we can do. There's a lot we can do for one another just by being supportive. And in our, in our society, it's supposed to be shameful to um, admit that, to openly say that you're depressed. Because that's a downer, you know. Uh, why are you bringing your downer stuff into our community? Uh, and people even though that's hopefully not true in um in the hacker space people go in there with all of their experience growing up in our society and assume that might be the case and people are reluctant to talk about these kind of personal experiences um and i i think it's uh damaging to all of society if people can't talk about their experiences of depression or other kind of mental health issues. Um, we need to be able to express ourselves. And if someone is seeming like in an ongoing way, like chronic depressed, and you pick up on it, it's totally fine to ask the person if they'd like to talk about it. Uh, and I, what I would like to see more, though, who are depressed feeling it's okay for them ask someone if it's okay to talk about what's going on for them. And if people feel supported for all of who they are, including the parts that they hate or don't like or are ashamed of, um, then that is super healing in and of itself too. And so the community, again, is a very healing thing. It might not be the only thing everyone needs in order to um, you know, keep growing and learning and living and becoming the person they want to be, but it can be a big part. Some people might find it's good to get a professional therapist or to just to, to start an informal group as we did at Noisebridge and I helped other places around the world too. Uh, we created Geeks and Depression meetups. And it's very explicit that this isn't a, a, um, a, a group therapy 
be with a trained therapist, but it's just a place where we can all feel free to talk about what we want and in a confidential setting. And that is also really healing. So yeah, just being open about it being okay to be who you are, including a person depressed and or has a history of depression in their life. That's super wonderful. Yeah, I think for myself, my answer is is similar to Mitch's. I would say acceptance. When someone feels accepted for who they are, that that, whether or not they're depressed, that's going to help them. A lot of us, I think, in our communities, uh, plural, have both felt ostracized for one or other reasons. And feeling that we're, it's okay to be who we are is, is a huge, is, is very freeing and healing on its own. I would add, though, that I think that it would be good to see people talk not just about depression, but some of the strategies that they use to get through the day. Doesn't mean that one person has all the answers, but I think that it can be helpful to realize that it's not just, well, I have depression and therefore I can't do anything. It's I have depression and I also can use my intelligence and use that hacker ethos to, that hacker mindset to change my situation. And for me, a big part of what helped me and what continues to help me get through the day is not just the fun exploration part of being a hacker in the free software world, but the ethical aspects of identifying with free software and user freedom. And I've always found that the sort of the other hacker community, the you know the Hope community, which I'm involved in, and I have been for for geez about five years, maybe a little bit more. You know, that community has exploration, does have issues that they care about deeply, but they present themselves a little differently. So I'm curious, Mitch, what you think the ethics of of that community are, of the 2600 Hope uh, CCC hacker community. Ethics. um, uh, Well, that's that's a big topic. Any can you be a little more specific? Sure. So when I think about you know, what gets me out of bed as a free software enthusiast, as a free software hacker, as a free software developer, I think about this is going to make someone's life better. It may be in a small way, or maybe that, you know, it could be, it could be in a, in a really huge, tremendous way. And I would even say that this, that this podcast that we're doing is part of that. For me, it's part of that mission of making uh, the world a better place. This specifically, you know, we, we talked about depression and inclusivity and, be, and feeling like we have belonging. That's a big part of it for me was I had mentioned off the hook and what off the hook had made me feel and off the wall a little bit was, yeah, the world is screwed up and we all see it and you're not alone. It's, you know, I think for, for many of us, there's a feeling of isolation a feeling like, am I the only one that sees what's going on? And no, you're not the only one. And maybe you'll even learn about some things that are going on that you didn't even know about. I, I've noticed that for a lot of hackers in the hope scene, and you know, I'll call it that other hacker scene, it's a much more personal approach to to their ethics. It's, I don't want to be intruded upon. I don't want to 
it's about what has uh, the repercussions on oneself rather than the larger community. But I, but I'm curious about a, a different perspective on that. Yeah, well, it's 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 of course mixed. There's thousands of people, and and each person has their own view on things. Even if we're all have overlap in that we're probably mostly grown grown up from being introverted, geeky kids. And although there's probably more left-leaning people in the hacker scene, there are certainly people, many people who aren't. So politically, people have pretty broad spectrum. And also their ideas about ethics are pretty broad as well. Uh, so earlier uh, on in the hacker scene before, uh, before my day, uh, which started in 2006, the hacker scene grew out of people coming together and doing software and networking and finding exploits and not always in ways that seem ethical to me, but these were people who were mostly really young, often adolescent boys, and they were super, super curious and sometimes accidentally find their way into other people's computers and mess around maybe in ways that weren't so cool. And so it, it developed a, a community of people who weren't so trustful of outsiders because as they were doing this, uh, people in power didn't really like uh, the idea of kids messing around with computers and laws were enacted that were draconian and horrible and people were getting arrested even beyond laws. And so an outsider wasn't someone to welcome in warmly. It was someone to scrutinize. And so there are still some people from like that kind of old school approach uh, within the hacker scene. And, uh, but there, that's, I think a minority of people, I think a majority of people in my experience anyway, is the majority of people I meet, meet lots of people every year as I travel all over the world, giving talks, workshops and conferences and hackerspaces and schools and universities and all this stuff. They really are, um, wanting to learn from one another and are more open to sharing what they do with others who know less than they do. And um, so that along with that comes this, this ethos that involves ethics. Um, people really do want to make not only their lives through their activities, but the lives of those around them. And that's why most people, I think, go, one of the big reasons why most people go to hacker conferences is they all part of this wonderful community and they can learn a lot, but they have some sense somewhere in there that, that this is somehow making things by sharing their knowledge, it helps other people. And if more people knew what we know, then they can make better things and do cooler things, you know, however you want to phrase that. But people draw the line of what they will do and won't do in different places. Me with my um, uh, upbringing, my parents were activists. So from uh, from a young age, I, I, we talked politics and and criticism of society was totally normal to talk about in our family and uh, to comment about the news and all this stuff. So uh, my father was totally destroyed uh, emotionally, uh, physically, um, but emotionally by the Korean War, which is a part of, and that he 
was very clearly communicated to me and my brothers. And I grew up looking at the military as our, our president on his going away speech called it uh, the military industrial comp being a good thing, but a very dangerous thing. And I never, ever, ever wanted to help it in any way whatsoever. And yet, being someone, a geeky kid who played with all these technologies and growing up into a person who was really good at this stuff and helping small companies who then would be approached by the military and uh, offering them a lot of money, take what the creative output that we that we were responsible for and asking to use it for military. And the people, the bosses always said yes, because it's profitable. And that's what the company is for, is profit, right? And then I had no recourse other than to quit because I didn't want to help. A lot of people I know make that choice. Uh, a lot of people I've met don't. And I wish they would reconsider because that is making the world a way worse place as I see it. You know, and like, I, I can only, you know, uh, I can only talk about the choices I make. Uh, everyone has to make choices on their own. And I know what I would like to pe people to think about. And I'm very happy to talk about all this stuff with people. And I do a lot in conferences and at hackerspaces. And this is a topic of discussion in a big way even uh, in hacker conferences and even more so at the, the ones in, in Germany put on by CCC, the Chaos Computer Club. So I've had a, a panel at Hope after Maker Fair in 2011 decided to apply for a, a $10 million grant from the U.S. military, DARPA, uh, Defense uh, uh, Advanced Research projects uh administration they they um they are there to ensure the uh, technological superiority of u.s military and they were trying to buy the acceptance of all these people and recruit and they were doing that at maker fair and maker fair went along with it and they they recruited uh, military was recruiting at maker fairs they gave keynote speech to the head of darpa and 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 other things. So, you know, the money that they received was definitely not no strings attached. And I thought that was really awful. And I wanted, I'd been helping Maker Fair for years and like hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of hours and all volunteer. And, and then this felt like a kick in the stomach. Like I never expected the military to encroach on something as creative and wonderful and community driven as Maker Fair was. But, um, after struggling with it, I, I realized that it's going to be, this is my own per personal ethics again, that I was going to feel awful no matter what, but I would feel more awful if I continued to help with Maker Faire. So I, I stopped helping Maker Faire and I invited people with varying points of view on a panel at Hope in um, 2011 to talk about that and, or 2012. And it was um, a really interesting uh, panel, and it's still online if anyone wants to listen to it. But this is, I think, really, really important. We must, I hope people will, examine these things and make choices on their own and, and think about it beforehand. What are you willing to do with your time and energy and your life? What are you willing to do and what are you not willing to do? 
I would hope you that you're doing what you're doing to make not only your life better, that's important, but also the lives of those around you and not at the expense of other groups of people. So I encourage everyone to look at that. And this is something that I push at uh, everywhere I go, but I'm not alone in that. Ethics is a big topic, especially at uh, Chaos Computer Club events and at Hope. So that so you you actually brought up something that was really interesting that we actually haven't talked about on this because so in the free software open source libre world we you know we've talked about this kind of multiplicity of terms and we even mentioned how they kind of tie into the hardware world with you know these kind of equivalent multiplicity of terms but you you just discussed you came in talking about the importance of hackers and hacking and etc um, and it felt like for a while there was some attempt to kind of throw off some of the baggage for whichever reason I'm not going to specify, um, but uh, of the term hacker by by kind of creating a new term maker. Um, and it felt it feels like a number of things have kind of happened to that over the last few years. I'm wondering, I, I feel like you'd probably have a good perspective on that. Uh, do you have would you like to say anything on that? Or is that uh, I, I'll leave that up to you? Oh, yeah, sure. So, um, you know, like Make Magazine started in 2005, and it, uh, it made by, uh, created by Dale Doherty at the time working for O'Reilly Media. And so Make Magazine was uh, underneath uh, O'Reilly Media. Dale saw that all this stuff going on online, on the internet, on the World Wide Web, all these people sharing projects and doing all this stuff, a lot of open source, explicitly open source, uh, like implicitly. Um, and he saw there were a lot of people doing this. If we had a magazine that could hopefully bring some people together. And he really surprised of how many people it brought together. And out of that, uh, there was an outgrowth of the Maker Fair in 2006, the first Maker Fair, because having people come together physically is way better community. And so, and they were super surprised that there were 20,000 people who showed up, myself included. And it was amazing. And, and so Make and Maker Fair became more popular as a community event. But it was underneath O'Reilly Media, which is a for-profit corporation. And um, Tim O'Reilly pushing for every aspect of O'Reilly Media to make money. And this wasn't said, this is sort of my guess, but um, Maker Media spun off of O'Reilly Media, I think because of that kind of pressure. But it remained for profit. And, uh, and it was just uh, a week ago Friday that they declared they let everybody go and there'll be no more um, San Francisco or New York Maker Fairs, the ones that they were organizing. And uh, they were encouraging other people to do their own uh, local ones. So, but anyways, along the way, uh, the word make and maker became a brand for uh, first O'Reilly and then Maker Media. And they tried to use that for more publicity for their for-profit venture. And they created the word maker and maker space because the word hacker, of course, has negative 
definitions and connotations as well. And that was a negative association for their brand. Uh, and also, um, there were a lot of people who were just afraid of it. So they'll just start a space and call it a makerspace rather than a hackerspace. Personally, I like the word hacker and hackerspace in the way that we use it in hackerspaces as very positive thing people helping themselves and those around them and trying as best they can to make things better. And it involves more than just making a thing. Like making a thing is really cool. It can be wonderful. But hacking is more than just people coming together and using tools. It's about the community. It's about helping, learning what works and what doesn't and sharing with others. And with this ethos surrounding it, of improving things, making the world a better place. So, um, you know, nothing against people who want to use the word maker, but I just prefer the original word for these spaces because there was no other word, uh, and that's hackerspace. The debate amongst, uh, the debate around the term hacker and maker reminds me a lot of the, the debate around the terms free software and open source. And it's funny because it's exactly the same players you know, Tim O'Reilly was one of the people pushing this idea of the term open source. And the original goal of the term open source was to make free software business friendly. And in exactly the same way, the term maker was an attempt to make hackers friendly. And in the same way that I will proudly declare myself a hacker over being a maker, I will proudly declare myself a free software advocate rather than an open source advocate. Um, and I know different people, uh, you know, will, I know people will disagree on this point, but for me, it's exactly the same emotional tone be between the two. So, so we, we've talked a lot about kind of the hacker community at large, and we've kind of done a little bit here and there threading together the the kind of historical relationship between the the free software hacker and the and the kind of uh, I'll say uh, hackerspace hacker, um, you know, which which I I think are, is pretty closely aligned with kind of the twenty six hundred slash uh, hope hacker. Um, so I mean, and I actually don't think they're necessarily so different, except that our communities sometimes it feels to me don't actually talk and interact as much as I'd like. Um, like it, it feels like given how connected to the ideas of each other that we have that that sometimes it feels like there are real lessons we could be learning from each other's communities. And I just wonder, do you see any opportunities as in terms of kind of our communities connecting, learning from each other's picking up practices that each other have or or kind of an a, a style of uh, of ethos or whatever? What do you think? Yeah, um, you know, at um, hacker spaces, like at Noisebridge, there are zillions of people who do free open software and, um, uh, and, and also hardware, which is pretty much all uh, free open hardware. And then at Hope, there are all these, uh, what I earlier called like old school kind of software hackers, as well as you know, and mostly involved with the security side of things, as well as all these younger people who are doing their own versions of open free software with their GitHub or GitLab. And, and people are giving talks 
uh, people from all these different places are giving talks. And also, of course, hardware uh, talks and, and as well as politics and society and art and science and whatever. So there, these are places, hackerspaces and these conferences and even more so at the Chaos Computer Club conferences uh, every year in Germany in December, uh, where people are talking about these on the stage and sometimes in a panel in a discussion, but in the, you know, what people often call the hall track, which is uh, where people are talking about these things as they bump into each other at the conference. And the conferences are three, four, or even five day uh, events where people have plenty of experiences to talk and share about these things. And in my experiences, people are super open about sharing and helping one another and helping each other learn from each other's past experience. So um, I don't see any impediment to this at all uh, at hackerspaces and hacker conferences, other than some few people might have some kind of attitude like I'm better than you, but that's I think a really small minority. Almost everybody is open to being approached by people regardless of their uh, past experience and skills. And so that means that we can and do learn a lot from one another. Okay, we've been talking a while, so I think uh, this might be a good place to wrap up. And uh, with that, bring back everything we've talked about. And, and um, I realize I'm going to talk about myself, but for me, this has uh, been a really emotional show, not just talking about depression, but even going to hope. And I was involved uh, in small ways with the last two hopes. Um, and I also presented at the uh, workshop at the the Last Hope uh, in 2016. The, the, you know, going to these events was uh, a big change in my life uh, in a very positive way. And I hope for you know people who might be listening that they can get some of that same sense of of hopefulness, community, uh, blah blah blah. Actually, I'm just going to cut all that out because it's total nonsense. All right, well. Mitch, I really appreciate, well, I'm sorry, Mitch, we really appreciate you being here and talking to us, um, especially about some of these more emotional topics. Um, we have a lot, I think, to talk about in the future, and we'd love to have you back on. So, so thank you for being here. Um, if people uh, want to continue this conversation in our online community, you can join us at Hash Libra Lounge on Freenode. Um, you can follow us on the Fediverse at Libra Lounge at uh, floss.social or on Twitter at Libra Lounge, uh, and you can email us at podcast at LibraLounge.org. Well, thanks. Thanks for having me on the Libra Lounge. This has been really good discussion. Like you, um, uh, Chris and Serge, uh, this has been a huge part of my life ever since I came in contact with it. And I, I love helping people any way I can, which is why I've since my first hope i've been one of the organizing people uh helping hope happen every two years in new york and in my own way i help uh, organize the hardware hacking area for the chaos computer club events in germany and uh, help hacker spaces and i always uh, want to tell people that if you think i can help you in any way please feel free to contact me anytime for any reason and if I can help, I will. So you can contact me over the internet in zillions of ways, but my email is mitch at cornfieldelectronics.com. Thank you so much, Mitch, for, for coming on the show. And I, 
I have to ask one last question. I want to dispel an online rumor or reinforce it. Did you help invent the Nintendo Power Glove? <laughs> yes. That's awesome. All right. Awesome. I don't think of any better way that we could end the show than that. All right. Thank you, Mitch. All right. Take care. Have a good, uh, have a great evening. Yeah. Thanks. And uh, yeah, I look forward to more if you invite me back. Thanks much. Yep. Thanks a lot. You've been listening to Libre Lounge. You can find and subscribe to us at LibreLounge.org. This podcast is released under the Creative Commons Attribution Sharealike 4.0 International License. Our theme music is Bossa Nova by Joth, which is waved into the public domain under CC0 and which you can find on opengameart.org. If you'd like to support Chris Weber's work on this and other user freedom projects, you can donate at patreon.com forward slash C-W-E-B-B-E-R. Thanks for listening. See you next time.